Before I get on with this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual quick note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels who took the photograph, which adorns the cover art. Let's get on with it. Hello and welcome to the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. A good deal spinning around in the world of financial crime this week, some sanctions news, some on corruption from Transparency International, as well as money laundering and fraud. Oh, and cyber, cyber everywhere. So let's crack on. The links to the principal documents mentioned in the podcast are in the podcast description. Let's start as we always do. Might change at some point, but this week we start with sanctions. A reminder that where sanctions can be evaded, they might not have had the impact the global community would wish. With that in mind this week, Brian Nelson, Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence at the US Department of the Treasury, warned Turkey and the countries in the Middle East which assist Russia in sanctions evasion that they could lose access to G7 markets. Sanctions evasion continues as an issue with some recent investigations identifying that certain high-end products still find their way into Russian shops. Seems like a reminder to those assisting Russia that they might want to realign themselves. Sticking with the US Department of the Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, which has this week announced quotes, full blocking sanctions against 22 individuals and entities across multiple countries related to a sanctions evasion network supporting Russia's military-industrial complex. In the UK, the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation, or OFSI, has updated its general licenses pages, information on the Russian oil services ban, and the current consolidated list of subjects to sanctions or those subject to sanctions. Links to all three updates are in the podcast description. And finally, this week on sanctions, the Council of the European Union has extended its economic sanctions against Russia until the 31st of July 2023. Expect them to be extended again later this year. The link to the press release, however, is in the podcast description. Now, I suppose the biggest story this week is a corruption story, and it is that Transparency International has published its Corruption Perceptions Index CPI for 2022. The headline is that corruption remains a global problem, with 95% of countries having done little or nothing to embolden their fight against corruption in the last 12 months, or certainly even longer in some cases. The good guys, the goody two-shoes, are Denmark, and they sit atop the pile, followed by Finland and New Zealand. Strong democratic institutions and regard for human rights make these countries some of the most peaceful in the world, according to the Global Peace Index as well. So if you're looking for somewhere to emigrate to, Denmark, Finland and New Zealand are perfect, perfect destinations for the squeaky clean bottom of the pile are what we might regard as the usual suspects, South Sudan, Syria and Somalia, all of which of course have experienced significant internal strife in recent years. Of interest to those in the United Kingdom is the fact that it is at an all-time low in the corruption 
Perception Index, which can be scarcely surprising given the serious allegations which have been made of corruption against the government and those in the government in relation to the award of personal protective equipment, that's PPE contracts, during the COVID-19 pandemic. There are allegations of fast-track lanes for friends or donors to the party which is in office in the United Kingdom. It is, the United Kingdom, 18th out of 180, falling down five places since 2021. There were, it states, woeful inadequacies in upholding political integrity. The link to the Corruptions Perceptions Index from Transparency International is in the podcast description. Another bribery and corruption story this week comes from the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD, which has called on Hungary to address its anti-bribery recommendations by enforcing its foreign bribery laws and to improve its own engagement with the OECD Working Group on Bribery. If it doesn't, the OECD said it might expect a visit from a high-level mission. And finally this week, work continues by the Ukrainian authorities on its efforts to address corruption in the country with news of a new wave of anti-corruption raids, this time targeting, among others, Ihor or Ihor Molomoisky. Yeah, I think I've mangled that appallingly. But anyway, he's one of the richest men in Ukraine. It's a measure of the importance with which the Ukrainian authorities regard this matter that they're dealing with this while they already have enough issues on their plate to deal with. Anyway, that's it for corruption. Now we turn our focus to money laundering. I suppose the biggest money laundering story this week is the publication by the Financial Action Task Force of its annual report for 2021-2022. Among its achievements listed in the report are a strengthened standard to prevent criminals from laundering dirty money through shell companies and other legal persons with a notice that its budget has increased to almost 13 million euros. I won't give any more spoilers, save to say that if you want to have a look at the report, it is, of course, at the link in the podcast description. In the United Kingdom, a couple of stories here. First, the National Crime Agency has launched a new online portal for the submission of suspicious activity reports. A link to the frequently asked questions from the National Crime Agency website is in the podcast description. News also from the UK this week that the deadline has passed for offshore companies holding UK property to register the ultimate beneficial ownership of that property under the Register of Overseas Entities. However, only 19,510 from a possible 32,000 440 entities have declared their beneficial ownership by the deadline. This is around 40% of the total unregistered. Unsurprisingly, there are Russians who have been sanctioned by the British following the invasion of Ukraine who are on the list as well as James Dyson, who is the vacuum cleaner guy. The response to the news that nearly 40% had not registered ultimate beneficial ownership led the UK government to announce this week that those who had not registered could face penalties such as late restrictions 
uh, sorry, sale restrictions and tough fines. Link to the press release is in the podcast description. Now, away from money laundering and to fraud. We start with the European Union, where the European Public Prosecutor's Office, the EPPO, today filed an indictment against six defendants in the Vilnius District Court in Lithuania for fraud relating to procurement procedures. The allegation is that the defendants organised the purchase of EU-funded equipment from foreign suppliers and simulated tenders that significantly inflated its price compared to what was actually paid. Link to the EPPO press release is in the podcast description. To the UK now. Well, there's a decent range of stuff, actually. Start with the serious fraud office in the UK, which has announced this week three convictions in relation to a $500 million trade finance fraud, whereby individuals, quotes, conspired to deceive trade finance banks by providing misleading information, false shipping documents, and forged signatures on fake sales contracts. This allowed the company involved to obtain a string of loans to bolster its finances and continue trading while avoiding the repayment of many of these loans. Sentencing of those involved in the case will take place on the 3rd and 4th of April 2023. The link to the SFO press release is in the podcast description. A couple of interesting bits from the insolvency service in the United Kingdom. First, a somewhat repetitive one. With another story of a bounce-back loan fraudster in the UK, a scaffolder from Birmingham in the Midlands has been banned as a director for 11 years. Link to that story on the Insolvency Service website is in the podcast description. The other story is that the Insolvency Service is looking for information from postmasters who may have been made bankrupt by the impact of the Horizon IT scandal. The link to this is also in the podcast description. Worth checking that out if you've been following that story. Now, sticking with, I suppose, pandemic relief, we just talked about somebody who'd abused the bounce-back loan scheme. Well, now we switch to the United States and its pandemic relief, where the US Government Accountability Office has published news that improvements are needed in the response to the fraud perpetrated in COVID relief schemes in the US. The press release issued by the GAO, that's remember the Government Accountability Office this week, provides, while fraud and accountability issues will continue to occur in COVID-19 relief programs, there is already ample evidence of widespread fraud, improper payments and accountability deficiencies during the pandemic. For example, GAO found that from March 2020 through to January 13, 2023, at least 1,044 individuals pleaded guilty to or were convicted at trial of federal charges of defrauding COVID-19 relief programs. This includes, there's a whole list of them here, the Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program and COVID-19 Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, the Department of Labor's Unemployment Insurance Programs, and economic impact payments issued by the Department of the Treasury and the Internal Revenue Service. Link to the full story can be found in the podcast description. And finally, something for next week, something to look forward to if your diary's looking a bit bleak next week. The Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill in the United Kingdom will be debated in the House of Lords. 
The House of Lords, for those who don't know, is the upper chamber of the United Kingdom Parliament. The debate will be on Wednesday, the 8th of February 2023, broadcast live on the Parliament website. Link to that story is in the podcast description with information on those who plan to speak in that particular debate. We end this week with a feature that I started last week with a roundup of what's been happening in cyber, cyber attacks everywhere. So let's start with... The website of key German administrative agencies as well as companies and airports have been targeted by cyber attacks this week, the Federal Cybersecurity Agency has stated. The attack is believed to be from Russia in response to the decision of the German government to send Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. JD Sports in the United Kingdom has announced that it has been hit with a cyber attack affecting what is estimated to be around 10 million customers. The story is a developing one and the true nature of the attack has not yet come to light. Atrium Health and a number of hospitals in the US have been affected by a distributed denial-of-service attack from uh, earlier this week. It was on Monday, in fact. Early reports again indicate that it was linked to pro-Russian groups. GitHub confirmed this week that a cyber attack in December 2020 resulted in the theft of three digital certificates used for desktop and Atom applications. Interestingly, research has also been released this week which indicates that the financial services industry has been targeted in 28% of the United Kingdom's cyber attacks in 2022. Another story here, this relates to an old cyber attack story, but North, North Korean hackers this week attempted to launder the proceeds of the Harmony Bridge attack. And, in fact, some of the stolen funds were frozen. So, I suppose a bit of a positive story there. Now, the next one is an interesting one. Some data analysed by Pinsent Masons, which is a city law firm in the United Kingdom, indicates that the Russian-Ukraine conflict may have caused an initial shift in focus of cybercriminals away from financial gain to attacks on the infrastructure of the enemy state. And given the couple of stories that I talked about earlier, it might be that actually they're still doing that. But anyway, they shifted away from financial gain to attacks on the infrastructure of the enemy state. I've linked to this in the podcast description because I suppose it's quite important and interesting. Now, the next one's an odd one. The National Crime Agency, I only found this out when I was looking at the National Crime Agency in relation to another story which I reported in today's, in this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast. Anyway, it's an odd one, this one. The National Crime Agency has released a game on its website called Cyber Choices, which allows players to test their knowledge of the Computer Misuse Act 1990, show off their gaming skills and make the right cyber choices in order to win. I haven't played it yet, but if you want to do so, then the link to it is in the podcast description. I know I said I haven't played it yet, but the chances are I won't play it. What else has been happening? Well, the Futures Industry Association this week was assessing the impact of a cyber attack on the systems of an ION Group unit, which affected its trading and clearing of exchange-traded derivatives across global markets. What else? Well, QUT, the higher education institution in Australia, has admitted this week that a cyber attack in December impacted more than 10,000 employees, students and former staff. And finally, 
on these cyber attacks. The hacker group, the Vice Society, says it has extracted and published over 850 gigabytes of sensitive data, including passwords, photos of passports, social security numbers and credit card numbers from the cyber attack, which we mentioned last week in the Financial Crime Weekly podcast on Okanagan College in January of this year. That's it for this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being very well indeed, next Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a great week, everyone.